We're going to read from God's Word this morning, and we're reading from Acts chapter 1, and we're reading verses 1 down to verse 11. That's Acts chapter 1, reading from verses 1 down to verse 11, and we're looking this morning at the ascension. So let's read God's Word together. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Amen. Like I said this morning, we're going to be looking at the ascension. I wonder if you have ever heard a sermon on the ascension. I was trying to uh, rack my brains to see if I have ever sat under in, in a church service under the preaching of God's Word and heard a sermon on the ascension, and I don't think I ever really have. And I want us this morning to remember and to hear the importance of the ascension and actually look at what happens in Christ's ascension. But before we get to that, let's work our way through the verses that we've read together this morning. And in the first version, verse 1, we see Luke, he's writing, he said in the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And, and effectively what we have in verse 1 here is Luke just giving a, a summary of his gospel account, of Luke's gospel, which we find in the New Testament he gives this, this summary. He basically says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I, I wish in some church meetings, and maybe you wish that some of us here could summarize as good as Luke does, rather than <laughs> rehashing everything that he's already told us. He just, he just goes straight to it. I, I've already told you all that Jesus began to teach and to do. And I think that one of the words that Luke uses here is really fascinating. All that Jesus began to do and teach. He doesn't say all that Jesus did or all that Jesus accomplished, but he says all that Jesus began to do. Why does Luke use the word 
began. And it is a really important word because what we see in this word is the reason for the rest of the New Testament, I would say. Because Christ's kingdom is still advancing. Because Christ is still at work through the power of the Holy Spirit and through his people, his bride, his church. We see that, that one of the, the terms that's used is, is to be his witnesses to basically everyone. That Jesus has begun this work. Absolutely, our salvation is secure because Christ has said it is finished on the cross. But the kingdom is still advancing. His church is still being built. And then he says, began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And, and, and effectively, halfway through verse 2, we, we basically have, I would say, the end of the summary of what Luke has already said. And I think what we see here in God's redemption story and salvation history is basically the turning of a new page into a new chapter. This is all that Jesus began to do until he ascended to heaven. And effectively what we see now is all that Christ continues to do through his people from the second half of verse 2 onwards. Let's look very briefly at Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 49. And the words are going to appear on the screen before you, so don't worry if you, if, if you've, you don't need to try and find it in your Bible. The words are going to appear right before you right now. Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 49. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing, continually in the temple, blessing God. We see this preparation. Luke kind of talks about it again in his gospel, the end of his gospel, but he speaks of it also at the beginning of our chapter here this morning. This preparation that he is preparing his people with and for. And what we have at the end of Luke is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. The completion of the earthly ministry that Jesus had come to do. But also at the end of Luke, we see this preparation that Jesus is giving his followers for the beginning of their mission. See, friends, the kingdom of God was birthed with the coming of Jesus, but it is still advancing through the Holy Spirit. That is why Luke begins in verse 1 by saying Jesus began to do that's still at work. Christ is still building his church. And this morning, we're going to think in more depth about the part in verse 2 where it talks about the ascension, which is what it means when Jesus was taken up into heaven. So the ascension is just, basically is just that, is, is when Jesus returned to heaven. 
So you have his incarnation at the beginning of the gospel when Jesus was born in the stable, born and placed in a manger. That is his incarnation when he came from heaven to earth. And then we have his ascension, which is when he went from earth back to heaven. And Luke refers to the ascension, to Jesus returning to heaven three times already. At the end of his gospel of Luke, we just looked at verse 2 here where we're spending some time. And then in verse 6 to verse 11, he again gives more detail to this ascension, to this event that took place. And Luke tells us that from Jesus' resurrection, from the moment he rose back to life from the dead until he ascended, he spent time instructing his disciples. He was giving them teaching. He was preparing them for after he left their presence physically. After Jesus' suffering and death, he rose again. And he appeared to his followers. That's what we read. He appeared to his followers. In verse 3, we read this. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. And we know the proofs. We know the times that he appeared. Whether it was um, at the shore with Peter. Whether it was with Thomas in the upper room. Or, 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 or at the, the empty tomb. There was many different times that Jesus presented himself. On one account to hundreds of people. There was many proofs. And he appeared to them during 40 days. Speaking about the kingdom of God. I love that Jesus wasn't just. You know he wasn't just shooting the breeze. He wasn't just catching up with them. So how have you been since I've gone? But he's spending time again. Investing in them. Pouring into them. Preparing them. For what was about to happen. 40 days. I love scripture. I, I, I just love it. There's so many wee golden nuggets that we just read over. And let me just alert you to one right now. Look at the number of days that Jesus appeared to his disciples. 40 days we read. Over a period of 40 days. And there's another time in Jesus' ministry when Jesus, where we see the number 40 present. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. We read and he goes and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And he's been tempted and he's been prepared for embarking on his earthly ministry. And at the end of the 40 days, what do we read in Luke's gospel? Verse chapter 2 says this. And Jesus returned. That's from the wilderness. That's from the 40 day period. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Isn't it amazing that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Being tempted and, and, and suffering in many different ways. And then he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see, even with his people, Jesus gives them a 40-day preparation period. But he doesn't send them out into the wilderness. He doesn't send them out into hardships or even to be tempted and tested by the devil. They get to spend time with their risen Savior. As Jesus prepares them for their earthly mission. Then what happens at the end of that 40-day period? The Holy Spirit is poured out at the day of Pentecost. Isn't scripture just amazing? 
And this is exactly what Jesus tells them to wait for. He says, wait. He orders them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, and he talks about John baptizing with water, but you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He tells them to wait to receive what he had in store for them. And this is one of the lessons that we need to learn as the church, friends. That there is blessing in obedience. There is blessing in obedience. That isn't the same as saying that we get rewarded for good behavior. That's not what I'm saying. But there is blessing when we're obedient to the call that God places on our lives. If you work your way through Psalm 23, we see all of the different blessings as we walk along the paths of righteousness, whether that's the still waters, the green pastures, but even through the valley of the shadow of death, we're still walking along the path that God has in store for us. We still know the blessings of God, his rod and his staff. In different seasons, the blessings of God look different. But whenever we're obedient to the call that God places upon our lives, there is blessings to be enjoyed. Then in the, ta- in the presence of our enemies, he prepares a table. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. And then we know the greatest blessing of all, that in God's house forevermore, our dwelling place shall be. It is blessing in obedience. And Luke tells them what this blessing is going to be. What this promise is. Wait and you'll receive this great promise the Father has for you. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You're going to get baptized by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to think about that next week. But this week, I want us to think about the ascension. And it's important that we talk about Pentecost as well, because in order for Pentecost to take place, the ascension had to happen. But like I said, we will think about that more next Sunday, God willing. We often miss out ascension. We often talk about, we talk about um, at Christmas time, we talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Then we talk uh, around about Easter time, we talk about uh, his death and his resurrection. And then we go straight to Pentecost and we talk about the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we so often read over because there's not a lot of brief description given to the ascension of Jesus. We so often miss actually how crucial this part is in the redemption plan for God's people. And the ascension was the conclusion, like I said, of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the last verses in Luke's gospel. But it's also how he opens up the book of Acts. He ends his gospel with the ascension and he begins his second book, the book of Acts, with the ascension of Jesus Christ as well. You see, the ascension of Jesus sees the earthly ministry of Jesus being completed. And it also marks the beginning and the mission of God's church here on earth. It is a crucial part in the story. We see in Ephesians as well, when it talks about how God has given his church Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But actually, just before it says that, the ascension is included there as well. 
Because when Christ ascended, we know that he didn't leave us by ourselves, but he poured out the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us in verse 6, this question that the followers, the disciples, that they ask Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? I think so often we're very hard on the disciples. We're very hard on the followers of Jesus in the Gospels. And I think we need to give them a wee bit of grace. That actually they were just asking things as they were experiencing things. They have just seen their saviour, their teacher, their friend die. He's risen back to life three days later. They've spent 40 days with him where he has been preparing them and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And now they ask a question Lord, is, is now the time to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus, he, he actually rejects their question, doesn't he? He rejects their question because their question is around the issue of timing. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons. That's up to the Father. That's up to the Father. So they ask him this question about the kingdom being restored to Israel. Jesus rejects their question because of the issue of speculation of timing. And then in verse 8, he reveals to them the relevant subject that they should be asking about and focusing on. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And even within the ascension, we see the, 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 the thought... And the importance of Pentecost already begin to um, be explained and flow out from it. And, and effectively what Jesus is saying here to his disciples is, you should be focusing on mission filled by the Holy Spirit. Don't be getting too distracted by the things that you cannot control, that you have no say over. Don't be getting distracted by them, but focus on what is happening now. I think sometimes what we end up doing as Christians, and that's the danger over the last few weeks where we've been speaking about the hope of glory that we have, about the importance of living for heaven, is that we end up living with our heads in the clouds. And we forget actually the call, the commission, the command that Jesus has placed upon us now. That actually we're to be his witnesses. And that's effectively what Jesus is saying here is don't get distracted by what is to come. Let it fuel you and shape you. Let, your heavenly, um, let it have a heavenly realization that changes your earthly perspective. Absolutely. But actually there's a reason why my church is still here on earth. There's a reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet. To take us to be with him. What is that reason? Because he's still calling us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He's still calling his church to be his representation, his ambassadors, being filled by his Holy Spirit and proclaiming and displaying his gospel. 
They ask him, is now the time for the kingdom to be restored? And we see the limitation that they place upon God and what God intended to do. What they ask here is, are you now going to restore the kingdom to us, to Israel? And in this question, we see the Jewish hope that was present in their day, in their time, where they expected and longed for God to come and to liberate them from Roman oppression. That's why so many people in the Gospels were disappointed with Jesus. Because he didn't come to do what they expected him to do. They had this kind of um, worldly, nationalistic understanding that the Messiah was going to come and liberate them as a people. But actually we see that there was so much more in the promise of the Messiah, wasn't there? And there's nothing new under the sun, friends. People are still being disappointed by Jesus. Why? Not because Jesus isn't good, but because their expectation, he often does not meet. It's like the rich young ruler, isn't it? He came to Jesus and went away sad. Not because the gospel of Jesus isn't good. It's great news. Because he came with this expectation that he was going to hear what he wanted to hear. And often that's not how it works. God often places his finger upon something in our lives that needs to change, needs to be different. So many people fall out with church because church doesn't scratch their itch. They don't sing the hymns they want in the way that they want. They don't, uh, they don't hear the preaching they want in the way they want. They don't get the lights or the, co- the colors of the chairs the way they want. Let me into a little, let you into a little secret that will save you a lot of frustration and time. Church isn't about me, nor is it about you. It is about the glory of God and God's purposes being fulfilled. Like I said, they were still thinking in terms of nationalistic liberation. But what we see in the New Testament is that it's not just for the Jews. It's not just that the kingdom has been restored to Israel, but Jesus came also for the Gentiles. It's about spiritual allegiance to Christ, to any who turn to him in faith and repentance. And we see that in the answer, don't we? We see that Jesus um, tackles this misconception they have about Israel because he doesn't just talk about Israel. He talks about Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Don't limit who I have come to redeem, Jesus is saying here. Take my gospel to all. And then verse 9 happens. The ascension. It just comes and it just goes. And there's not a lot of information that we read about the ascension. But that doesn't mean that it isn't important. And what we have in verse 9. When, we had said, when he had said these things. As they were looking on. He was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And just like that, just as he was born in a stable manger in Bethlehem, so too from before the eyes of his followers, Jesus returns to where he came from. What we have here, if you could picture it, maybe you're a visual person. 
I'm not. Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe it's helpful for you to close your eyes and try and actually image what is taking place here. As Jesus has just answered his followers, as he's just answered his, the, the, the question that the disciples had asked. Just after it, after he said these things, they were looking on and then a cloud comes and he was lifted up and he was taken out of their sight. You can just imagine this cloud just coming down and surrounding him, enveloping him, covering him. And he's lifted towards heaven and he disappears out of their sight. And this wasn't just a dream that Luke was having. This wasn't just something that he's speaking about metaphorically. This is a real life event that he is recording. Look at how he describes it four times in verses 9 and 10. He gives, um, he gives credit to uh, the, the, the verb about witnessing. He, he talks about seeing and sight and gazing and gaze. He uses that kind of verb about what you witness with your own eyes four times in the space of two verses. And what is it they see? They see Jesus being lifted up and this cloud coming around him and him being taken up out of their sight and him disappearing before their very eyes. Now, the cloud is important. The cloud is important. And if you know your Gospels well, maybe Luke chapter 9 is coming to mind right now where we read about the, the transfiguration of Jesus where Jesus um, is... The disciples, the followers, get to catch a glimpse of Jesus' glory. And Moses and, and um, I think it's Elijah uh, appear before them as well. And then this cloud comes and, and they're amazed by what they've just seen. And I love that maybe the transfiguration, although Jesus was showing them a glimpse of his glory, that actually in his mercy and grace... Maybe he knew their downfalls and the problems and issues that his followers had. And he loved them so much that he was preparing them for what they were about to witness here in the ascension. And we see this cloud in the transfiguration. But we also see this cloud in Exodus chapter 19 where Moses is speaking to God out of a cloud. And often when we talk about clouds, maybe, um, maybe the eye cloud comes to mind or, or, or maybe you, we have a negative understanding about clouds where we think about clouds in Scotland, about these, these gloomy things in the sky that often take away the rays of sunshine that we long for in this land. The cloud here is so important. It is a sign of the heavenly glory of God. It is a supernatural and symbolic cloud denoting the very glory of God. We see it as well in Revelation. That's what the cloud here symbolizes and means. This is the Shekinah cloud. The cloud of the Shekinah glory of God, which was Christ's transport. How amazing is that? That he was taken to heaven by the glory of God, the glory cloud of God. It is the Shekinah glory of God that takes Jesus to heaven. In John 3.13, Jesus says this, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now maybe if you know your Old Testament well, you know that Elijah was taken to heaven by uh, chariots of fire. 
But Elijah, although he was taken to heaven, he didn't ascend to heaven. He didn't ascend to heaven. Because the only one, as Jesus says, who can ascend into heaven is he who descended from heaven. The Son of Man. Jesus' ascension is not just about him returning up to heaven. That's not what the ascension is just about. It isn't just about him returning back to heaven. It is so much more than that. In the Psalms, Psalm, I think it's 120 through to, I think it's about Psalm 134, we have the Psalms of Ascent, which celebrate the anointing of a king. That's what the Psalms of Ascent are about. They're a celebration of the anointing of a king. So when Jesus said that no one ascends to heaven but him, what he means is no one goes to heaven with the same purpose as Jesus. The only one who can go to the, the heaven with the purpose of Jesus is Jesus himself. The only one who can ascend to heaven. Remember the Psalms of Ascent about the celebration of the anointing of a king. The only one who can ascend to heaven was he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In the ascension of Jesus, what we have is the coronation of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Like I said, this is much more than Jesus just using his return ticket to get back home. And that's so often what we think about the ascension is that Jesus is just going back home to heaven. But it is so much more than that. This is all about his coronation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In the incarnation, Jesus descended. And what do we know about when Jesus was incarnated? In Ephesians, we read that he set aside his glory. So in his descension, he sets aside his heavenly glory. That glory that he shared with the Father for before all eternity. And then we read in John's gospel about the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays to his father. And what does he ask? He asks, Father, give me the glory that I once shared with you before the world was created. And here in Jesus' ascension, Jesus receives the glory from the father that he had set aside in his earthly incarnation when he descended from heaven. This is about Jesus returning to his rightful place as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not just about Jesus returning home, but about his coronation. Let me read for you some verses from Daniel chapter 7. Verses 9 to 14, and they're going to appear on your screen before you. As I looked... Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. 
I looked then because of the sound of great words that, uh, uh, that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and it took and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night's vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory, a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Wow. Wow. Did you hear those words from Daniel chapter 7? What do we read in Isaiah when we read about the, 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 the wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, everlasting God, his kingdom shall know no end. That is who we worship. That is our Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what we've just read here in Acts is what is prophesied and predicted in the book of Daniel. It is Christ's return to heaven from where he came from in the first place. He came to earth in all humility, taking the form of a servant. But he returned to heaven triumphant. And on the glory cloud, elevated to the right hand of God the Father. Jesus, in his ascension, received his coronation. He has given dominion and authority over the whole earth. So that the lamb that was slain would be seen as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is already king. He has already been crowned the king of kings and lord of lords. That is why his kingdom is still at work. That is why Luke began by saying the work that Jesus began. But he no longer carries it out as a suffering servant. But he carries it out as the king of kings and lord of lords. Through his people, his witnesses, you and I. And Jesus sits where? At the right hand of the Father in authority and power. In his ascension, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That is why it is better that Jesus went. So that he could go and be seated with all power and authority. And so he could send the Holy Spirit to bestow the power and authority upon God's people. So they could carry out God's work. Wow. It's not just about Jesus Using his return ticket home. But it's so he could go and receive the reward he was due. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that is who we worship. And one day, one day, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Why? Because Christ. Jesus is Lord. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we still know the rod and the staff and his comfort of the King of Kings, the good shepherd who laid down his life for his people. 
And then Luke quickly brings our attention back to earth. Because there's a mission to do. When he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, verse 10, he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. <laughs> Is it any wonder why they were gazing? Could you, could you imagine after everything that they had just seen? Could you imagine and what we have here is two angels appear to them. And we know that from their appearance, their white robes. It's the same description that's used at the, the empty tomb. They're gazing intently into the sky, wondering, where, where's Jesus gone? Wondering, is he going to come back? Is he going to reappear? What, what now? And in their gentle rebuke, the angels Remind them of what they had to do. Jesus was taken up from you in the same way he will return. In their refute, their attention is brought back to earth. Remember, Jesus had just called it to them to that moments ago. Don't be concerned with things that you're not sure about and that you don't have any control over. But wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Be my witnesses. Friends, that's our calling. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. He's gone. He ascended to heaven. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. One day he will return. But until then, we have a commandment to follow out. To be his representation, his witnesses, his ambassadors. Are we doing that? Are we really living out the command that Jesus has placed on his people? Or are we playing church? See friends, our king is seated in all glory at the right hand of God the Father. He was the lamb who was slain. But he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. The ancient of days. And just in very, very, this is the last thing I'm going to say. In the end of Luke's gospel, they don't leave sad. In the transfiguration, they ask, can we just stay here? But they don't leave sad. What do they do? The very last verses in Luke's gospel, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Is it any wonder after what they had just witnessed? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, the ancient of days, and as Daniel says, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, that is our king. Let us worship him and serve him as he longs for and as he deserves. Amen.